Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Hey, welcome to church this morning. <laughs> All right, you guys did great. I'll pay you later. Thank you for, uh, for that welcome. I bribed him. Welcome to church this morning. We are so glad that you chose to be with us um, on our Youth Takeover Sunday. Um, as you've already been experiencing, it's just been next level this morning. I don't have any other words for it other than, isn't that what church is meant to be all about? I love it. So the generations, we've got kids life in here this morning, hanging out with us. We have the youth leading us. And the presence of God doesn't wait till we graduate high school for him to move in our lives, for him to work through us. And, and I love that every Sunday night I get to experience that at youth, all of our leaders do. But when we come onto a Sunday morning like this, that you guys get to experience it and see what God has been doing in the lives of these students. And I want to take this moment. We just had our summer camp a couple of weeks ago and it was just the best week ever. We had the best time hanging out, but we had just pretty much four days of just worship after worship, just time, just seeking His presence. And our theme was join the song of heaven. And, and we did that this week. And so I just wanted, or that week at camp, and I just wanted to thank you as a church for every single person who asked how much it was to pay for someone's camp registration, for everyone who bought one of our fundraiser tickets, for everyone who came up to Bailey and I and said, hey, we're praying for you this week. We know how important this is. We are just so honored. And as a youth pastor, I'm so blessed to be a part of a church that, that really believes in the next generation and what God is doing in their lives. And I just wanna encourage you that for them, they need like this, a safe space for them to find all that they are in God. And that is what this Sunday is all about, is that they get to lead, they get to, to share the gifts that God has given them. And so it's amazing. So thank you, church. And I just wanna honor Pastor Tim and Harriet and our whole staff for really, um, yes, honor them. They have always paved the way in believing that the next generation has a voice and a part to play. And so it is so fun being part of this church. And if you're visiting, you're always welcome back. I encourage you to come back. It's amazing. But I'm going to pray and then I'm going to get into this message today. But I really feel like the God's given me a word for us all this morning. And this isn't just a way to go, kids. You did great today kind of message, but a marked moment for us as a church and for our lives. And, you know, revival, the seeds of revival are being planted this morning. And so I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to encourage us, maybe challenge us a little bit. But I'm praying that we leave this place filled with hope, with joy, with expectation, with excitement about what God is going to do. So, Lord, I'm so thankful for this morning, God. Thank you for all of those students, Lord, from the, the cheer squad in the parking lot to the worship team up here, to those who are doing the tech in our tech booth back there, God. We just thank you so much for their hearts, for their gifts, for their voice, Lord. And we pray as we come around your word this morning, God, that it would be only you that's speaking, God, that anything that is of me would just fall away and that you would just anoint these lips, anoint these words, God, and let this be a message that we can all hear and we can all respond to today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I have to be really honest with you guys this morning to start off. I like to be honest. It's kind of who I am. I don't mess around, but I love eating food. Does anyone else love eating food? Listen, I really feel like life is what we make of the time in between lunch and dinner. Just like, it's like we eat lunch, great meal, and then it's like, okay, well now what am I gonna do for the next few hours until I get to eat again? And, and I think what's next for my meal, all the things. And in my journey of eating food now for 27 years, not stopping anytime soon, I've heard all sorts of diets and fasting and 
like cutting some things out. And so I've heard about keto. I've heard about um, intermittent fasting. We have a couple of pollo pescatarians in our youth group, which means they only eat chicken and fish, no red meat. Um, we have vegetarians, all the things. But one diet that I'm yet to hear about that I would love to try is a carbotarian. Does anyone else just love carbohydrates? Bread, pizza, fries, pasta, anything that just sits in your stomach and reminds you it's still there three hours later, that is my kind of meal. And so much so that we had dinner at Tim and Harriet's last night and she brought me all of the extra bread rolls this morning. They're sitting under a chair. There's like 12 of them because I know how much I love bread. Um, and you know, I sometimes joke with Bailey that if I could pick one food group, it would just be bread. It would be amazing. And um, for me, restaurants are kind of rated and scaled by whether they bring out bread at the start of your meal or not. I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant and they bring out that basket of fresh bread and they're like, here's some bread for you to start. And you're like, praise God, hallelujah, this is a restaurant I could be at. And for that reason alone, Olive Garden is the best restaurant in Wilmington and across America. Just think about those breadsticks, warm, seasoned, leave that little oily mark on your fingers. And the best thing is once you finish one basket of breadsticks, you say, can I have some more breadsticks? And they just keep bringing them right out. And so my record for an Olive Garden meal is thing, it's like eight or 10 breadsticks um, before, I meal, before my meal. So um, I could probably do more if I just ate bread, but I guess salad's important too. Um, but I just love bread and I love carbohydrates, but one type of food I can just not get there with is seafood. Anyone love seafood in here? I know, that, I know that we live in Wilmington, North Carolina, a port coastal town. I grew up in Sydney, which is also known for its seafood, but the taste of fish is just not it for me. Like for me to enjoy fish, it has to be so deep fried that I only taste the batter anymore. Um, and so every week when Bailey does the groceries, she will um, buy for herself a, like a pack of two salmon fillets or whatever and the chicken, everything for me. And so much so that she will wait till I'm out for a night. So if I have small group or I'm going to the movies and she'll say, ah, thank God it's my salmon night tonight. <laughs> and so she will cook the salmon and then I'll come home and it smells like a seafood market. And I'm like, what, like, what did you do in here? And she's like, I just had salmon, like get over it, which is you know, good on her. But I think it's so funny that if you were to set before Bailey and I, if we had to share a meal and it was a piece of salmon, her, for her, it would be one of the best meals of the week. It would be amazing. For me, it would be like a smile and bear through it like you do politely at someone's house for dinner when they serve something you don't love. And that happens for so many things in our life. Maybe you see a movie with your friends and some of you are like, oh, I have to see that movie again. That was so good. And others of you are like, eh, like it was all right but like, it's not very believable, you know, those people. Or maybe you're like our whole youth group and you hear the Taylor Swift album, which I've heard many times sung at camp. And you're like, this album is so good. Her re-releases are amazing. You have to listen to it and you play them all on repeat for three weeks. Or you're like, Taylor Swift, really? That's what it's like. We have these things where it's like, we both listen to the same music or see the same movie or eat the same piece of food, but we can have totally different kind of opinions or experiences about what that happens to. How about this one? We, some of us, we come to a church service and we leave transformed. We leave inspired, we leave encouraged. And some of us come to the same service and we walk away mad or disappointed. Oh, and I know that's none of us here. I know that we're all so excited to, to be in the house this morning and to hear from God, but <laughs> that's right. But the point that I'm, I'm trying to make here is that it's possible for two people to be in the same moment, 
and have totally different experiences of what's gone on. And I can't think of a better example of this than being in the times that Jesus lived. We read all throughout the Gospels, Jesus is, is walking, He is preaching, He is healing, He's doing all the things, He's spending time with all of the people. And, and you have these two groups, these two experiences, some that, that hear the message of Jesus and they hear Him preach and they see Him perform miracles and they're like, I'm dropping everything I can to follow you. I, I, my life has been changed. And at the same times, in the same stories, we see those who are like, well, who are you to heal on the Sabbath? Well, who are you to, to pray for forgiveness of sins? That's not you. And we see these people that get so mad at Jesus, they conspire and they plan a way to, to send him to the cross and to kill him. And I often read through the gospels and, and I get this, this thought in my head and I, I read sometimes a lot like this, like, well, how could you do that? How could you be at the same time as Jesus and watch him with your own two eyes, watch as the leprosy falls away from someone, watch as the paraplegic gets to stand up, watch as the friends lower their, their friend through the roof and he is healed. How can you watch all that and walk away disappointed and upset at God? And it's in those moments that God is so quick to remind me, well, don't you do the same thing some Sunday mornings? Because it's real, because there are some Sunday mornings, some services I show up and I'm thinking about everything else. I'm thinking about what I've got to do later. I'm thinking about all the things I have to finish before I get home. I'm thinking about what's for lunch. Maybe I'm thinking about what happened this morning before I got to church. Maybe I get in here and I don't know the worship song and it's like, well, I don't really know if I can worship to this one. I don't know it. And God's saying, He's like, you're in my presence and you're not leaving transformed because of the, the expectations that you carry when you come in. Even outside of church, we, we get to, when we accept Jesus, we walk with the presence of God living on the inside of us. And what that means is that in Jesus, there is nothing that can stand against us. There is nothing that can come in our way that doesn't have to bow it at His name. But we live defeated. We live upset. We live like, oh, my life is just not that great right now. I don't know what's going on. And I feel like God is kind of telling all of us, He's telling me, He's like, would you just stop for a second and remind yourself what I've done in your life? Would you just stop for a second and remind yourself who you carry when you walk around? I've titled this message today, Stop and Smell the Roses. And I think that we often kind of ascribe to two ways of thinking. You're either a cup half full or a cup half empty type person. That's kind of how the world sets it up. And it's the same amount of water, but it's the way that we see or experience something and we have our perspective about it. And so this song, Stop, or this Stop and Smell the Roses is a title that stems from this song I was listening to. And the chorus in this song is, it's too bad. When did it get cool to be so sad? We're spinning backwards. Did we all go mad? Yeah, we're only human, but we've got hands and hearts and noses. So stop and smell the roses. And this one line, I remember hearing it for the first time, just stuck out, of me, stuck out to me. I couldn't get out of my head. And it says, when did it get cool to be so sad? And there, there's something that I have seen as a youth pastor, and I'm sure that you've all seen, is that this idea of being sad and depressed and anxious and just worried all the time has almost become trendy. Like we almost outcompete each other for how sad we can be. Like, no, 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 well, I have this much going on. You don't even get to be sad. Well, so I have this much going on in my life. You don't get to be that sad. And it's like, it's become cool to say, look at all my problems. Look at what I've got going on. Look at me, pay attention to me. That's what the curve of society is. And it's this spiral that gets more negative and negative and negative. But when I read the Bible, I see Jesus say, in this world, you'll have troubles, but take heart for I have overcome. He doesn't say you'll have troubles in this world. So you just got to suck it up and suffer through it. He says, take heart, take heart because I have overcome. And what he's reminding us is, yes, there's going to be stuff that we all go through. 
But we don't have to live in those places of, woe is me, this is terrible. We get to take heart because the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so I feel like this morning with this message, God wants to put some hope back inside of his church. God wants to put some expectation, some excitement, some joy back in his house because we are the ones who carry the light of the world on the inside. We don't have to walk around depressed and anxious all the time because we know that he who is in us has overcome all that is in the world. We've got a reason to praise. We have a reason to celebrate. Everything the enemy has meant for evil, every situation and circumstance, it all has to bow and turn around for good at the name of Jesus. Did you know victory is your inheritance? Peace is your portion. Redemption, restoration, and turning things back around, that's all who God is every single time. We can raise our voice. We can live confident in a world that tells us we need to be sad. You know, maybe we should do less telling God how big our problems are and more telling our problems how big our God is. And saying, hey, I see you, family situation, but I want you to know that I've got a God who's with me and He's gonna get me through this. I see you, bad doctor's report, but I've got a God who is a healer and that there is nothing that can stand against Him. And so I'm not gonna live in defeat. I'm gonna choose victory and choose peace and choose joy. The Bible tells us that God is the lifter of our heads. And you see what the enemy wants us to do is walk around like this. Keep our head down. My life is so hard. Oops, sorry. My life, uh, it's just terrible. I just don't know, please don't talk to me. Don't have time for you. And he wants us to walk around in this defeated kind of head down state. But when God says he's the lifter of our heads, watch what happens. When we're looking down, all I see is my feet and what's right in front of me. I don't see anything else. I just see what I have to walk through. But when we say, God, would you just lift my head? Would you open my eyes? Would you let me see through your victory, through your glory? And we lift our heads, we start to see a finish line. We start to see perspective. We start to not focus so much on what's going around, but what God has ahead for us. And we can walk in confidence and in victory that what is before me is greater than what's, what I'm going through right now. My favourite Psalm or potentially my favourite passage in the Bible ever is Psalm 27 verse 1 to 5. And David, he's writing this in the middle of, of tough circumstances. And he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and He will set me high upon a rock. As I was preparing for this message, I felt like God was asking me, what's your one thing? And He's asking us all, He's like, what's your one thing? Because we read David in, in the context of this, King Saul's trying to kill him. He's been told he's gonna to be the next king and Saul doesn't like that. So he's like, well, I'm just gonna get rid of him. And so he sent people to chase him. And David is fleeing from cave to cave to, to just run and just survive. And he's in the middle of all this going on and he writes this thing and he's like, in the middle of whatever is gonna round me, I will not fear. I will be confident. I am not afraid because I know who's with me. I think for a lot of us, a natural response would be like, God, I didn't ask for all of this. I just... I just stood up and took my place. I, you anointed me for king. I, just, I thought it was all gonna be smooth sailing. 
That's kind of how I often think about it. I'm sure we all do too. We're like, what, like, what is going on? But David's one thing that his heart was concerned with was that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. You know, David is often described as a man after God's own heart, and it's not because he was perfect. We read plenty of mistakes. It's not because nothing bad happened to him. We're reading right now all of this, and his life is full of ups and downs. We read all about it. But he's described as a man after God's own heart because he understood that if he had God, which he did, then he had everything that he needed that there was nothing that could compare to that. And his heart was, I don't care what you throw at me. I don't care what it looks like around me. The only thing my heart is concerned with is that I may be in your presence, Lord, that I may seek you in your house, that I may gaze upon your face. If I have you, Lord, then I know that everything else will be okay. I can be confident. And so David, he knew his one thing. And my question for us is, what is our one thing? That Lord, no matter what life looks like, the one thing is I just can't wait to be in your presence. My one thing is I just wanna lift my hands and worship you in the middle of it all. What is our one thing? And so in this message today, I wanna help us live in that place of excitement, of joy, of expectation, of hope and of confidence that with God inside of us, if God is for us then nothing can stand against us, we have a reason to lift our hands and to praise Him again and again and again and again because He is so good to us. And so I've got three points for us this morning that I would kind of describe as practical points that I think if we, if we take these on and we apply them in our lives, that we will, we will get to see from God's perspective and we'll experience these things that we go through, not with a, wow, this is so hard and overwhelming, but wow, God, I know I'm going through it right now, but I'm trusting you because I know that you're working. And so my first point is don't just show up. Who has ever had a conversation with someone who is on their phone or texting or maybe you're at dinner and you're watching a show while trying to have a conversation with someone and you start talking and you get the responses like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, that's cool, ha <laughs> hilarious. And you get like these like responses that are just like robotic almost. That you're like, I know that you kind of hear me, but you're not really in this conversation. I know I've been that pl- person plenty of times. I know I've had those conversations where we just get kind of like, We feel like just being there is enough when actually there's so much more. There's a difference between just showing up and being present. And you see David in in this Psalm, his heart wasn't, Lord, just let me get into your temple. Just let me get to a safe space. That's all I need. And then then I'll just just collapse there and do all the things. His heart was, Lord, I wanna be in your temple, but I wanna seek you. I wanna sit and gaze upon your beauty. I wanna be found in your presence. He was like, I don't wanna just show up. I wanna be in your house. He's like, I don't wanna just get to the seat. I wanna be in my seat and I wanna be ready to receive all that you have. I recently described one night at our youth group that I feel like Sundays for us as a church and for us as youth, we need to start seeing them more like the locker room before a big game. And you see, if you know anything about sports or you've watched sports or you have children in sports, you know that the locker room or the changing room is kind of the gathering place for the team before they head out to the game as they're training throughout the week. And the locker room is meant to be a place where it's just you and your team. It's just your brothers, just your sisters. You're standing there, you're getting ready. It's a place where the coach maybe gives a, a message of preparation. Maybe it's a place where some music plays and you relax and you, you get ready for the big game. But it's not the end goal. The locker room has purpose and intentionality for a team. And there's a purpose and intentionality in the way that we should come to church every week. It's not just so we can tick off the box in our bingo card of, have I been a good Christian this week? It's showing up and saying, God, I'm not just here, but I'm here to experience all that you have. I'm not just getting to my seat and being like, all right, 
do something. I'm getting to my seat. I'm getting to my spot. And I'm like, God, I can't wait to worship you this morning. God, I can't wait to hear from your word. I can't wait to hear what you wanna reveal in my life because that's what church has to be about. It's not just a program or a concert you guys watch, but it's a, it's a body, it's a team coming together and saying, I know there's a big game on Monday. I know there's a big week of work ahead and I need to be refreshed. I need to be refilled and I need all that God has to me in this place. There is no other place in the world like the gathered body of believers. And that was David's heart. He was like, Lord, just let me get to your house and seek you. That's the only thing that I need in my life to survive and to prosper. The Bible tells us that when we seek God with all of our heart, we will find Him. So don't just show up to church on a Sunday morning, come ready to seek, come with expectation, come excited. We had a service on healing a couple of weeks ago, but God's power doesn't wait till we do a healing service. His power doesn't say, oh, you've had enough last week or we prayed for healing last week, so try again next time. His power will move in every way that it possibly can because that's who He is. So often the roadblock is us. One night I was doing tech for sisterhood in the complex and Nicole, who was amazing, Miss Nicole, by the way, we love Miss Nicole. Um, she was preaching and she, she said this thing that I will never forget. It's never left my head since she said it. And she said that God doesn't have a giving problem. We as people have a receiving problem. And what that means is God doesn't have a limit. There's no, oh, I've poured it all out. Come back next week, I'll refill. God is so ready to pour out every single day if we seek Him. He's so ready to pour out his, his goodness and His favour and His Spirit and His power every single moment if we ask Him. But what we do is we say, well, I'm good for now. It was a great service last week, so I'm just gonna be here this week. But we can't miss out on what God is doing. When we live in the kind of expectation that every day has something new, it changes our perspective on everything that we go through. So come expectant on Sundays. Don't let it just be about making it to your seat. Let it be about worship. Let it be about praise. Let it be about standing in His presence with a body of believers, just like this. Don't just show up. The second thing is take a look around you. In Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34, Jesus is, is preaching and sharing this message. And He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we, um, what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And I think that's such an encouragement to us is it's not God doesn't care about what we're going through. It's not that God doesn't care about the things we need. He says, I know what you need, but seek me first and watch as everything you need will fall into place. And he says, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I love the, the pictures that Jesus is using. He's saying, look at the birds, look at the, the flowers of the field. And you and I, we have to know that creation bears the mark of its creator that anything that was created by God, it all reflects and it all points back to Him. That's how deliberate God is, how intentional creation is. You know, as humans, we were designed to breathe in oxygen and then we breathe out carbon dioxide. 
And then we think about the trees that are all around us and everywhere. And those trees were created and designed to absorb carbon dioxide and through photosynthesis, sorry, to produce oxygen. And so there are two ways that we can look at this. We can look at it one and say, wow, what a fluke. Good job. Or we can say, wow, we have a creator who thought of every little detail. We have a God who knew that, well, if they're going to breathe out carbon, they're going to need something to replace that oxygen. Let me design a, a tree. And the inner workings of that tree are going to give them exactly what they need, their breath for every day. Or the fact that if the sun was a few degrees closer, the whole earth would burn up or a few degrees further away, we would freeze over. That's not some fluke. That's a God who is so carefully orchestrating and designing this entire ecosystem that we find ourselves in. And what I think is encouragement to us in this scripture is, he's like, would you just take a look around you? Would you step outside for a minute and would you look at the splendor of all that I've created and know that I'm not gonna let you fall. I'm not gonna let you go through life without having what you need because I've designed it all so that you can live and have life. God has ordered and designed everything and it all points back to Him. For us to live in expectation, for us to live in hope, we have to remind ourselves how big our God is and how much He cares about us. Taking a look around to me links into this concept of thankfulness. That as I open my eyes and as I see and as I look at a tree and think about what that means for my life, as I look at nature and go, wow, you've designed it all. I say, God, I'm so, th- I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that, that you have a place for me in this world. I'm so thankful that you thought of all the details. I'm so thankful for you, God. And you know, studies have shown that one of the antidotes for depression and depressive thoughts is gratitude. Because you know what it does is it shifts our thinking from look at what I don't have, look at what I need, look at what I'm lacking to, God, I may not have everything, but I'm so thankful I have breath in my lungs. God, it may not be all perfect right now, but I'm so thankful that, that I can put food on the table for my family. I'm so thankful that I can come to church. I'm so thankful that I can, I can be free, that I can live my life. And when we shift our thinking into being thankful for what we have and not what we don't have, depression and depressive thoughts can't live in there because we're reminding ourselves and telling ourselves, hey, God's got you. Just remember what He's blessed you with. Remind yourself, take a look around you and know that He's got you. Life has a tendency to be overwhelming, to feel like we're drowning. But when we remind ourselves of all that we have to be thankful for, it changes our attitude and our perspective as we walk around. Imagine if we're walking in in our daily jobs and we're like, God, I'm so thankful for my coworkers today. God, I'm so thankful that, that I get to eat lunch today. It changes everything for us. I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where God tells us he wants us to live small, defeated lives. He wants us to live in confidence and hope and in joy because that's how good and how big our God is. My third point this morning is we need to learn to wait and listen. I don't know if you've ever had those weeks where you were just running around doing all the things, trying to tick all the boxes for maybe your family in terms of groceries, getting kids to practice, getting to the sports games, dropping them off here, dropping them off there. And then you get to like your home, maybe on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon and you're like, that was a week right there. That was full on. And we get to those places all the time and and it's such a real place. And as a youth pastor, I hear all of your students, all the things that they have to show up to, all the things that they have to do and, and, and be a part of if they want to succeed. And we're just in this time where it's like busy, 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 busy. How much more do I need to do? How much, how many things can I tick off? How many places can I be in one week? And we live in busy. And so I think we should all work hard. I think if we have a job that we need to give it the best we've got, if we're on a sports team, we need to commit to that and show up to all the things. But I think we also need to learn to place value and find time to sit down, to wait and to listen on the Lord. 
I know for me in my life, I'm really good at telling God what I need, what I want, what I'm going through, but I'm definitely not as good at waiting to see what God has to say to me, but listening to what His response is because prayer, it's a two-way street. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's us saying, Lord, I I wanna speak to you. I wanna be in relationship with you. And he's saying, well, I've got things to say to you. You need to stop and listen. It goes against all of our instincts, but we read all throughout the Bible how important it is to withdraw, to find time for ourselves and to pray and to seek the Lord. As believers, as Christians, we can try all the habits, all the self-help, all the essential oils and all the devotionals we want, but we're missing the point if we're not spending intentional time with God in his presence. Being in God's presence changes everything for our lives. Why? Because we can't enter into His presence and not leave transformed. And I don't know about you, but I need to be transformed every day of my life so that I can be the best husband I can possibly be, the best youth pastor I can possibly be. I don't wanna go a day without God revealing Himself to me, without His presence, because if He's not in it, then I'm missing something. And we need to live with that kind of expectation that when we wake up, God, what do you have for me today? God, I just wanna sit and, and, and feel an outpouring of your spirit so that I can be empowered to walk out all that you have for me. We need to live with that kind of expectation. There's this passage in 1 Kings chapter 19 and I'm gonna read the first little bit and then the rest of it will come on the screens. But we're reading about Elijah and he's in the Old Testament, he's a prophet and he has just been trying to preach the word of God to all of God's people to bring them back. And he's just been um, doing all of this and they're at a point where a lot of the prophets are being persecuted and killed off. And so it jumps in, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and he sat under it and he prayed that he might die. Man, I can't imagine the, the inner strife, pain, hurting, desperation that, that would lead him to be at that place where he's like, Lord, I'm done. I can't keep doing this anymore. I can't keep living this way. I'm sick of running. I'm sick of being fearful. Would you just take me now? It's so much better. He said, I had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So Elijah, he got up, he ate and he drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. The next is gonna come up on the screen. It says, there he went into a cave and he spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites though have rejected your covenant They've torn down your altars and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore, through the, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave and, he, and then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I could preach a whole sermon on those 10 verses on just the, the struggle Elijah's going through and the way that the Lord provides and redeems and reveals himself. But I wanna zero in on two things for us. 
Number one is Elijah. Like so many of us, so many people in the Bible, he was at a low point in his life. He was at a point of desperation, maybe a point of being overwhelmed. I mean, he was at the end of his rope almost, just like, I'm done, I'm ready to, I'm ready to move on to the next life. And one of the things that I often say when I'm preaching at youth group is I wish so badly to like the very depths of my heart that I could tell all of those students that when you accept Jesus, life is perfect. I wish I could say that because it would give such hope and such confidence, but that's just not the reality. The reality is that we're gonna go through troubles and it's gonna be a thing, but God's word is take heart for I have overcome. And so we see Elijah, he's going through the down moments. He's going through the valleys, the, the tough times of life. But the second thing that we read in this passage is that the Lord wakes him up and he gives him food and drink. He provides, he gives strength. He restores him for the journey ahead. And then he also shows up, he speaks and he reveals himself to Elijah. And I love we see here that Elijah could have landed on either side of this equation. One, my life sucks or two, God, I know you're still there. I'm gonna wait and listen to you. And when we as Christians, when we choose to land on the side of the equation, it's like, I know it's been a lot, God, but I'm so thankful that you're gonna still provide. I'm so thankful that I can trust that you're turning it around for good. I'm so thankful that even in the middle of it all, you're right there with me, you don't leave me. When we land on that side of the equation, our life, it changes. I love that we read that there was a great and powerful wind, an earthquake and a fire. These grand displays of, of natural forces that would so often easily for Elijah be mistaken as that was what God was, was showing up in was the great wind, the earthquake, the fire. But the Lord wasn't in any of those. It says that God was in a gentle whisper. And I love the response of Elijah. It says, when Elijah heard it, he put on his cloak and he went out. And you know what that says to me is that Elijah wasn't sitting in the cave saying, woe is me. He said, God told me he's gonna speak to me. So I'm waiting and listening. I'm listening. He wasn't in the, he wasn't in the wind. I'm listening. He wasn't in the earthquake. I'm still listening. And when he heard the voice of the Lord in the whisper, he went out. He was waiting and listening. I think often we like to define who we want God to be, what we expect Him to do or show up in our lives instead of letting Himself reveal to us. Letting God say, hey, let me show you more of me. Let me show you a different perspective. Let me show you a way that maybe you haven't thought of yet. Instead of just, well, it I, I didn't happen the way I wanted it to. The world's way of working is that what happens outside to us has to affect, affect inside. That if something bad happens, I have to leave away angry or disappointed. If this happens and I have to walk away like this, but God, He is different. He transforms us from the inside out so that we can stand in those places. And it's like, well, that's not great, but my God is greater. That's not ideal, but I know the God who is in me, He's gonna work that around for good because He wins every single time. It's us saying that you can throw whatever you want at me, but I've got a reason to throw up my hands and praise Him again and again because He has done something in my life then I will never be the same. That's who Jesus is. And so why does all this matter? Why is God calling us as, as Christians to not just live in this head down kind of way, but to stand up expectant and excited and filled with joy and hope? And the short answer is because there is a world that needs to know that there is a God. That, that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. See, God's hope for the world isn't just that you would be saved, it's that the whole world would be saved. That, that those at your workplace would be saved, those in your family would be saved, those at your schools would be saved. Our lives are meant to reflect the testimony of what God is doing on the inside so that others can see 
and have hope too. You see, it has to be bigger than ourselves. It has to be bigger than just me and just my things and just my lane. It has to be, God, where have you placed me so that I can live victorious and so that others who are walking in hurting situations can ask me, hey, I heard about your doctor's report, but you're still listening to worship music. Hey, I heard about what's going on in your family, but you still like go to church every week with them. And it's like, yes, because I know what's inside of me and that these things will only last a moment, but my life with Him is eternal. It's not about just us, it's so that others can have hope. And you see, God doesn't want us to live selfish lives. That's why it's so important to walk with expectation and confidence. I said this at youth uh, the other night, and I think it's such a great reminder for all of us, but selfish Christians will see their lives changed. We can be selfish. We can seek God just for me and be like, sweet, I'm saved. That's all I needed. Thank you. We can do that. But selfless Christians will see their worlds changed. They're the ones who are like, God has done something on the inside of me and I can't contain it anymore. I can't stand back and be quiet while you're going through something because I carry the answer to the broken world. I carry the hope and the joy and the peace. And until they get into a service or into His presence themselves, they need us who carry Him to share, to speak, to pray, to encourage. So come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Don't let the world back you into a corner, but remind the world that I've got a lion inside of these lungs. And so I will get up and I will praise the Lord. I can live in faith, in hope and in joy, not because of what's around me, but because of who's in me. And He is so worthy of our lives being all in. It's not just about Sundays, it's about our weeks. It's about being transformed every single day. And you know what's so good is the Bible tells us that He who started a good work in you will finish it to completion. And I can invite the band to come up. But when God starts something on the inside of you, and whether this is your first service today, He's starting it right now, whether you've been at church your whole life, He's still continuing it, is that once God starts something in you, He doesn't stop it until the day that we get to heaven and He is constantly working and teaching and growing and transforming. And that every day is an opportunity for Him to to work in our lives. And His Word is so full of encouragements and reminders that we can hold on to. His Word, it holds everything that we need, that in the times of trouble, we can read about Elijah in the cave, that in the moments of depression, we can read about David saying, Lord, I will praise You no matter what. His Word says that He will never leave us or forsake us. His Word says that we don't need to be afraid. His Word says we can cast all of our cares onto Him for He cares for us. His Word says that He loved us so much, He sent His Son so that we could have life, so that we could have victory all because of Jesus. And in a world full of fake, a world of lies and broken promises, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that I have a God who I can trust. I have a God whose promises never fail. I have a God whose word never returns void. And so I'm gonna ask everyone to stand up because we're gonna do something different here on Youth Takeover Sunday. And normally at this time in our service, we have a a response time for for prayer and worship and communion. But but today, because I just feel like God's like, I'm putting some excitement back in my church. We're gonna go out in a song of praise. And so I'm inviting all the youth, everyone, kids live, you can come and fill the front because the Bible tells us that we can dance before the Lord with our hands held high and our voices loud because of all that He's done in our life. And so we're gonna go into this song. I'm gonna pray. And then we're just gonna, we're gonna finish celebrating that we have a God who we can trust. We can take at His Word. And so Lord, I'm so thankful for this morning. I'm so thankful for what You're doing in this place. God, we are so thankful that we can live in confident expectation that You will move in our lives and You will do incredible things all the days that we live, God. 
And so we just give you this moment, we give you this time and we say, Lord, have your way in not just Sundays, God, but the rest of our weeks and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' Name, Amen.